there was a call to move the capital of Brazil to its vast interior jungle, away from the bustling coastal town of Rio de Janeiro. The move was sought to better enable the country to utilize its vast interior resources and become an economic powerhouse. President of Brazil, President Kubitschek, brought in three master planners to build a clean, modern city. Roads were built wide for the cars. There was plenty of air conditioning. The workers enslaved around the clock to open up the city in three years. Finally, in 1960, the doors were open and the capital of Brazil, known as Brasilia, was open. And no one wanted to move there. So the government lured people by 100% salary hikes. Eventually, the city took hold, but it took many years to finally fill this new capital city. Well, see, that's what we have going on today with Jerusalem. Since the third century, or rather, since the third Babylonian invasion in 586, Jerusalem left a, was basically left a virtual ghost town for the more than 70 years. Then for the next 80 years, it was sparsely populated with a new temple that Ezra and Zerubbabel had played their role, but also rebuilt walls. So the city needed people. When we call this new life in a ghost town, it wasn't just a ghost town. I mean, there were certain people in it, but there wasn't that many. They needed more people to care for the temple, for greater defense, to thrive the economy. But you should note this, Jerusalem wasn't just any city. And I would go further and say, even to this day, it's not just any city. In Nehemiah 11, it uses the phrase, the holy city. In Deuteronomy 12, 5, as the people were crossing the desert and wandering in the desert, wanting to go to the promised land, the Lord promised them in Deuteronomy 12, 5, that he had a place for them, a certain location, even within the territory, a city where righteousness and justice would flow out into the rest of the world. People would see this city, not just the nation, but in particular the city as a light to the nations. Well, what city would it be? They had no idea. It would be where the Ark of the Covenant was situated. And at first it was Gilgal, and then later on it was situated in Shiloh. But then the Lord made it very clear, Psalm 76, 2, that his dwelling place would be in Zion. Zion was a hill located in what is now known as Jerusalem. Why would God choose that location? Well, Genesis 22 tells us that uh, that's where, that's actually where um, my mind is blanking right now, but Abraham went to sacrifice his son Moriah, uh, <laughs> sacrifice his son Isaac on the mountains of Moriah. And wouldn't you know it, as he was about to uh, plunge the knife into his beloved son, an angel said, stop, there's a ram. And Abraham calls that place Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. And certainly that's what he did thousands of years later. But that son would not be miss out on the sacrifice. He would be sacrificed for us. So it was a picture of this. And so God places his temple in Jerusalem on the mountains of Moriah. And it's interesting, that city in the New Testament times was special as well. Jesus weeps over this city. You may never have thought about this. Jesus wasn't raised in Jerusalem. He 
He was raised in Nazareth. He, was, uh, he did his ministry in Capernaum. These cities would be destroyed by the Romans. What's the city, the one city that he weeps over? Jerusalem. It's also, um, that's where he died. That's where he rose. The first church was in Jerusalem. The future capital of a earthly kingdom will be in Jerusalem. The eternal state is called the new Jerusalem. Now be careful with this. Psalm 24, one, it says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. So every part of the world is sacred to the Lord. But in particular, Jerusalem, it's a special city. So what we're gonna see in this chapter is the record of people that chose or were chosen to take the hard road to repopulate Jerusalem. They were made up of regular families, priests, Levites, gatekeepers, temple servants, all coming to Jerusalem to build the city. Now, I would say this, for us in the church, we also are called to live in God's holy city, the temple of God, which is the church. Are there any lessons for us in the Old Testament? Oh, you betcha there are, and we'll see that today. This is the word of God, chapter 11, verse one and two. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of 10 to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of 10 remained in the other towns. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. Now, the text has just told you, Jerusalem is the holy city. It's special to God. Why? Do they need to cast lots? Why don't people, why aren't the people lining up to live in the city? Well, three reasons we can think of. Number one, they're going to be leaving family and friends. We, we don't have cars back then. It's not easy to get around. And so they would have to live in Jerusalem. And keep in mind that they are of the tribe of Judah or Benjamin. So there's land allotted to them that's given to them by God, but they will be giving up that land to live perhaps in the city. A second reason, um, uh, not only living, uh, leaving family and friends, giving up land to live there, country living is very popular today, and it was back then too. So you like to have your spread. Uh, third reason is cities can be places of intense evil. Perhaps that, was, that went through the people's minds. Thomas Jefferson, he viewed cities as pestilential to the morals, the health, and the liberties of men. Some of you agree with that as well. You don't put me in any city. I remember when my wife and I moved back to Dallas um, several years ago, and in 2002, we decided to live in Oak Cliff, and it was, uh, it was a bit of urban pioneering at that time. The, the neighbors would stop by and say, you know, I'll never forget the persons who lived before y'all. I said, who are they? I don't know. You could hear her hollering out, and he beat his wife all the time. And I think, oh, okay, great. Safe place, safe neighborhood. Um, cities oftentimes are seen as uh, dangerous places, and yet we also know this. The country's not necessarily safe either. You see enough of the ID channels, and you find out that that mass murderer always comes just down the road in that little town. So the problem is, is you have sinners, and anytime you have that, You've got problems. But note this regarding the city. Although the city oftentimes is noted for its evil, who came up with the idea of the city? God. God did. And one day we know that we will all be 
in the new Jerusalem, place like no other. But I get ahead of myself. So there's three groups that are making their new home in Jerusalem. One, we have the leaders, who's made up of Ezra and Nehemiah. They really set the example to live there. Uh, Number two, there's the casting lots people. So the way it worked is that one out of every 10 in Judah is chosen to move there. They had to cast lots. If you're not familiar with casting lots, the way it would work in the Old Testament, it revealed the divine will of God. You would get small pebbles or maybe bits of wood and put names on them. Put them in a bag and shake up the bag and let the first one drop out, and that's the one chosen by God. Um, And you may think, well, that's strange. I mean, would God really have any sort of uh, sovereignty over that? Oh, yes. Proverbs 16.33 says, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Uh, We see this in Numbers 26, that God tells them the land should be divided by lot. You'd pick a land and then you'd drop out the name of whoever got it. That's that's the, the tribe that would take over that portion of Israel. In Joshua 7, we see Achan, the troubler of Israel, is... Uh, His name is dropped out of the bag, and certainly he he was the guy that had decided to harbor some of those unique items from Jericho instead of burning it all as God told them to. 1 Samuel 10, 20, and 21, who's the first king of Israel? Saul, chosen by Lot. We even see in New Testament, Acts 1, as Judas has gone to the place that he deserved, he's killed himself, Uh, Peter says we need to take his place, And we come up with Justice and Mattathias, who had been with the Lord's ministry since the beginning. They cast lots, and Mattathias is the one that's chosen. You know where we see casting lots again? Never again. And you go, how strange. It seemed to work so well. Well, keep in mind, in Acts 2, we have the arrival of the Holy Spirit, who resides not only among us, but in us. So he's here, plus we have the entirety, the entire canon of Scripture. Something believers forget, 2 Peter 1.3, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him. Where we get the knowledge of him? In the word. So don't be cast in lots. Trust the word. Take, take uh, some, wise, some wisdom from some wise counselors and move forward. Uh, One other group, that's the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. And it says the people blessed them. So these people perhaps weren't chosen by lot. They just said, okay, I volunteer, I'll do it. Verse three through six, let's see this next group. These are the chiefs of the province who live in Jerusalem. But in the towns of Judah, everyone lived on his property in their towns. Israel, the priests, the Levites, the temple servants, and the descendants of Solomon's servants. And in Jerusalem lived certain of the sons of Judah and of the sons of Benjamin, of the sons of Judah, Athaiah, the son of Uzziah, son of Zechariah, son of Amariah, son of Shephatiah, son of Mahaliel, of the sons of Perez, and Messiah, the son of Baruch, son of Kolhazah, son of Hazaiah, son of Adiah, son of Jorib, son of Zechariah, son of Shilonite. All the sons of Perez who lived in Jerusalem were 468 valiant Men, I just want to draw your attention to that term, valiant. It's a uh, Hebrew word. The Hebrew word is hail. It can be translated one of few ways. It can be translated, these were people of strength or ability or, or wealth, probably not wealth. But 
ultimately, these are exceptional people. Uh, there's the husband of Ruth, who's called by this term, Boaz. He was a hyle. He was a, perhaps a man of wealth or ability. But either way, you read the story of him, and he's an exceptional man, as Ruth is an exceptional woman. Continuing on, we're going to see the sons of Benjamin, verse 7 through 14. And these are the sons of Benjamin, Salu, the son of Meshulam, son of Joed, son of Pedalia, son of Koliah, son of Messiah, son of Ithel, son of Jeshiah, and his brothers, men of valor. There's our word again. 928. Joel, the son of Zikri, was their overseer, and Judah, the son of Hasuna, was second over the city of the priests, Jediah, the son of Jorib, Jachin, Zeriah, the son of Hilkiah, son of Meshulam, son of Zadok, son of Marioth, son of Ahitub, ruler of the house of God, and their brothers who did the work of the house. We'll be right back there in a moment. 822. And Adaiah, the son of Jehoram, son of Peleiah, son of Amzi, son of Zechariah, son of Pashur, son of Malkijah, and his brothers, heads of fathers' house, houses, 242. And Amishai, the son of Azrael, the son of Ahazai, son of Meshillamoth, son of Emir, and their brothers, mighty men of valor, 128. Their overseer was Zabdiel, the son of Hagadolom. Zabdiel, his name means son of the great ones. If you're looking for a great name for a son today, any of you pregnant folk, Zabdiel, son of the great ones. Um, why would they call him that? Well, because he was probably uh, along the line of the descendants of the high priests. So work of the house is what the priest handles here. What house? Well, this is the temple. They would offer sacrifices, burn incense, set out showbread. Um, for us in the New Testament, Ephesians 2.10 puts it this way, for we are his workmanship. Workmanship, what do we do? We work. We work on God's temple, which is us. Uh, creating Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance that, you, that we should walk in them. Did you catch that, Ephesians 2, 10? All those who have gone to seminary and trained for ministry go into ministry. That's a lie from the pit of hell, as far as I'm concerned. Because Ephesians 2, 10 makes it very clear we've got good works set before us, that we all should walk in them. That means, as I've said before, and we'll make it clear again, you are in ministry. When were you called to ministry? We'll talk about that soon. So the, these folks, some of them are considered mighty men of valor. So they're not just heil men, they are mighty men. Gadol, there's more of an emphasis here. And they are gonna guard the house of God. Uh, it had nothing to do with strength, but they're just men of character. They are exceptional people. Um, the way we would call it here in Texas is an old saying from the 19th century um, the phrase is this, he'll do to ride the river with. He'll do to ride the river with. What does that mean? Well, in the 1850s, 60s, 70s, um, in Texas in particular, it was, we had some scary things like uh, Comanche attacks and rattlesnakes and crossing rivers. And you go, why is this such a big deal? Well, when you're crossing with cattle drives, uh, you could have a flash flood up on the north part of the river and it crosses or it starts to really 
build up by the time you're crossing with your cattle. The water would rage even in the midst of it. And you're on a horse and you're trying to watch the cattle and you want a guy who's got your back and he, he could handle it and is calm under pressure and does not, doesn't run away due to fear. And you look back and you go, he'll do to ride the river with. Because I can tell you this, the stories, there's many of them out there of the rivers would run blood red, not just from the cattle being killed in these uh, rivers, but also horses and men. It's horrible. You didn't want to cross the river. Well, let me tell you what, here in the New Testament with times, we've got 2 Timothy 1.7, that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-discipline. So if you find yourself dealing with fear today, Basically, you're not, you're not in the game that you should be. God has not given you a spirit of fear. Yes, you fear the Lord. Yes, you fear sin. You don't want to go into that. But fearing what tomorrow holds, fearing the future, fear of failure, some of that stuff is so ingrained in some of our hearts today. It's like you can't dig that thing out. But you should note that that's not from the Lord. That's either from Satan or the world or from you personally. Hey, we need to be those who ride the river. That's what God has called you to, whatever he's called you to. Verse 15 through 18, and of the Levites, Shimeiah, the son of Hashub, the son of Hakiram, son of Hashabiah, son of Buni, and Shebathai, and Jozebad, of the chiefs of the Levites who were over the outside work of the house, okay, they handle the, the physical side, and Mataniah, the son of Micah, of Z- son of Zabdi, son of Asaph, who was the leader of the praise. And Bakbukai, or rather Bakbukai, the second among his brothers. And Abda, the son of Shemua, the son of Galal, son of Jeduthun. All the Levites in the holy city were 284. So you've got two groups that are happening here. The Levites, they handle the temple repairs. They collect the wood for the altar They collect the one-third of the shekel that we talked last week to purchase needed items for the temple. And then you've also got this guy, Mataniah. He's leader of the praise. Uh, He's the worship leader. His nickname was was probably like Moy, right? (laughs) Can we start calling you Mataniah? Okay, okay. Why is that there? Well... (laughs) It's because it's so important to the Lord. Uh, We're going to see in just a little bit in Psalm 150, there's many times where the Lord is not just asking you to praise the Lord. He's commanding you, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. And it's very important. Why? Because I told you last week, God does not love people more than anything. God loves his glory more than anything. And you better be glad about that. Because there's never a time in the future when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining in the sun, and God looks and says, okay, I'm done with you, all of you, to hell. He never does that. Why? Because he loves his glory more than us. And you better praise him that he does. Because if he loves his glory, he loves that he keeps the truth. He keeps his word. He cannot lie. It's impossible to him. So we enjoy forever with him. Because he loves his glory. And he loves us when we, he loves to hear the praise of his children. 
Verse 19 through 21, we have the gatekeepers, Akub, Talman, and their brothers, who kept watch at the gates, were 172, and the rest of Israel and of the priests and the Levites were all in, were in all the towns of Judah, everyone in his inheritance. Don't forget that phrase. Verse 21, but the temple servants lived in Ophel. Ophel was a, kind of an elevated part of the city. It was natural hill in the midst of the city, it seems. And Ziha and Jishpah, were over the temple servants. So who are these people? Well, security is their guard, is their, is their job. Why do you need temple guards? Well, folks here that help guard the facility, you know what that's about. You realize that, hey, we need to keep this area set apart for the Lord's work. And also there's a lot of gold at the temple that people could come and take, steal. So you had the temple guard to make sure that this sort of thing didn't happen. It's interesting. You actually have them in the New Testament as well. Do you remember the story of the temple guards? You need to. We'll, we'll be studying them soon. In John 7, the Pharisees tell the temple guards, you go arrest Jesus. It's almost like we're scared to get him. You go get him. And the temple guards go, and then they come back in John 7, 46, and the Pharisees says, where is he? And they said, no one ever spoke like this man. <laughs> they were dumbfounded. They're like, let's go back. We're not arresting this guy. See, even unbelievers have to point out and go, no one ever spoke like this one. Continuing on, um, we see here his inheritance, that everyone went to his inheritance. It's interesting because for the Lord, um, the land was the Lord's inheritance for the people. He gave them land, he gives them seed, he gives them blessing, but here it's in particular is talking about the land that's set apart for them. How evil when you consider in the Old Testament that Ahab tried to buy Naboth's vineyard. You couldn't buy land. If, if, it, was the, it was the Lord's inheritance, given to you, given to your family, it was in perpetuity. And how terrible that Ahab went further, he and Jezebel and stole the land and killed Naboth. You see how evil it is? That's the Lord's inheritance. Why would you steal from the Lord? In the New Testament, I'm so glad Moy put this out here. In the New Testament, we also receive an inheritance, not just forgiveness, but also God's righteousness, eternal life. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5, he caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and fadeth not away kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Y'all think life is bad? And it is. You think life is troublesome? And it is. But your best days are ahead of you. And it's reserved. I love that phrase. It's reserved in heaven for you. There's no cancellations there's no take a rain check. It's reserved. It's done. And it's kept there by the blood of Christ. And not only that, we have, even on this earth, we have spiritual gifts where we serve the body of Christ. We're going to talk more about that at the end of this lesson. Verse 22 through 24, we have the overseer of the Levites in Jerusalem was Uzi, the son of Bani, the son of Hashabiah, son of Mataniah, son of Micah, of the sons of Asaph, the singers who were over the work of the house 
of God. For there was a command from the king concerning them and a fixed provision for the singers as every day was required. And Pethetiah of the son of Meshezebel, of the sons of Zerah, of the son, the son of Judah, was at the king's side in all matters concerning the people. You caught the name, I think, Uzi. Um, he's directly related to Asaph. And you go, okay. And if you don't know the name Asaph, you haven't been reading the Psalms lately. In particular, the one that you're probably most familiar with is Psalm 73, where Asaph asks, why did the wicked prosper? Why did the wicked prosper? You need to read it today. Um, and so he, Uzi, is directly related to Asaph. The sons of Asaph were, Asaph was a famous singer, and his sons were famous singers and composers as well, by the inspiration of the Spirit, of course. And here we have the king of Persia, who is probably Artaxerxes I. He seems to have given the Levite choir a royal stipend for singing and praying for the king. How'd you like that job? Your job is to sing and pray for the king. Uh, Psalm 150, as I mentioned earlier, says, praise the Lord. We're commanded to do it 13 times in six verses. Some of you go, I, I don't really like to sing. Get over it. This is a command. The Lord isn't saying, would you please sing to me? No, this is the, cre the creature praising, glorifying the creator. And not just the creator, but the one who sent his son. And you're also praising the son who died on the cross. And you're praising the spirit who lives within you in the church. How, would we, how should we not praise Finally, we have verse 25 through 36, the villages outside Jerusalem. And as for the villages with their fields, some of the people of Judah lived in Kirath Arba and its villages and in Dibon and its villages and in Jechabzel and its villages and Jeshua and in Moldala and Beth Palet and Hazar Pshual and Beersheba and its villages and Ziklag in Mekona and its villages in Inraman, in Zora, and Jarmuth, Zenoa, Adullam, and their villages, Lachish, and its fields, and Azekah, and its villages. So they encamped from Beersheba to the valley of Hinnom. The people of Benjamin also lived from Geba outward in Michmash, Aijah, uh, uh, Bethel, and its villages, Anathoth, Nob, Ananiah, Hazur, Ramah, Gitam, Hadid, Seboim, Nebalat, Lod and Anno, the valley of craftsmen, and certain divisions of the Levites and Judah were assigned to Benjamin. So the way it works, remember what tribe Paul was from? Benjamin. How would you know that? Well, after the Jews came back from uh, Babylon, there was essentially two or three recognizable tribes, Judah, Benjamin, and Levi. It doesn't mean you didn't have other tribes, that, but a lot of them didn't know their background by that time. So here's what we have. We got uh, Jerusalem in the center. You've got to the south of Jerusalem, we've got several towns of Judah. And to the north of Jerusalem, we've got several towns of the tribe of Benjamin. The Levites were all over teaching the word of God. So here we have, at the end of the day, it seems to be probably 100,000 people living in the land, and probably 10,000 who lived in Jerusalem. And what you find out is what the Lord is trying to show you something. What the Lord commands, the Lord provides. 
and the Lord has provided, and the people are now living back in Jerusalem. And there's some huge um, uh, applications, I think, from this text, and I'll point these out. We also are called to live and serve in God's holy city. Fill in the blank for me, can you? Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. This is what we are called to be, the city set on a hill. We are all, as I mentioned, called to ministry, called to the ministry. And you might go, hey, Jeff, I don't think you're right. You see, I I work here at this company. I don't get paid by the church. I'm not saying all of us are called to get paid by the church, but we are all called to ministry. I just happen to get paid for it. If the elders decide tomorrow, we don't want you to get paid for it, I say, okay. I'll have to find another job, though. Um, but that's the difference. And actually, we find that in uh, 1 Timothy 5, 16, the elders who rule well are worthy of double honor. We also have some folks on staff here that are paid, uh, and they also have their fair share, and that's rightly that we do that. 1 Corinthians 9 talks about that those who preach the gospel should make their living by the gospel. Some churches, we don't pay anybody. Well, there's actually precedent for paying people, but please note this. We are all called to ministry. Number one, just some few questions I'll close with. What does the Bible say about the term ministry? Well, it's taken from the Latin term minister, which the root word for minister is, think of fourth grade math, minus, minus. Uh, What does it mean? It means servant. That's all it means. So Ephesians 4.11, it makes it clear that we are called to the work of service or ministry to the building up of the body of Christ. How do you go into ministry? You go to Bible school or seminary? No. I'll tell you how you go into ministry. You ready? Acts 16, 31. Believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. Well, Jeff, you've just described how a person is saved. You didn't describe how a person goes into ministry. Same calling. It's the same calling. Actually, I would say there's not a separate calling for the whole ministry, that aspect that we try to land forth here in America. No, we are all in the ministry. The moment you pass from death to life, baptized in the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit, you have a spiritual gift on top of everything else. It's the Greek word uh, charisma. It's where we get our term charismatic. Um, Some are miraculous. We see these gifts. Actually, we call them spiritual gifts, but really it's just spiritual grace is the term is used. Uh, Some are miraculous tongues, miracles, healings, uh, we can debate as to whether they went away in the first century. Some people st- still think they're around today and they're full operational. Um, we can talk about that later, but uh, suffice it to say that uh, we have here most regular types of service, just simply regular types empowered by the Holy Spirit. Some of those that are listed, we have mercy, helps, teaching, administration, discernment, Encouragement, evangelism, giving, faith, a word of wisdom, word of knowledge, shepherding. Uh, And I would say that we are all called to these services, even though we may not have the gift. Like, I can't say, I don't have the gift of helps. Y'all go ahead and handle it here. You can't say, well, I don't have the gift of giving, so I don't give to the church. Or here's this one I love. I don't have the gift of evangelism, so I don't talk to people about Jesus. 
All three of those are terribly wrong statements. We're all called to these, and yet we have, according to God's good grace, just a certain empowerment that we have by the Spirit for each of these. Um, And I would tell you this, you have been entrusted personally by God with a ministry, a service that is vital to the body of Christ and to his kingdom. Beware of thinking that your one little talent is not worthy, so you're going to go out and bury it. Didn't go so well for that guy. And some would say, well, I don't bury it. I I just don't serve. I think you've buried it. So what does ministry or service to Christ involve? I appreciate Stephen Cole. He's a a pastor in Arizona. I I thought his questions were good, so I've used them. Three things in particular. Um, What does ministry look like? Well, A, willing to live where the Lord wants you to live. Acts 17, 26, which talks about the Lord works out the, um, the exact places they should live. The Lord put you where you presently are on purpose. Do you know that? I'm not talking just sitting here today. I'm talking about wherever you presently are living. The Lord put you there. And you might say, yeah, the reason why I'm there is I made a terrible mistake. Is God not sovereign over your mistakes? The Lord wants you there on purpose for the moment. So are you willing to live where the Lord wants you to live? Some of you, perhaps the Lord is tugging in your hearts to live overseas and and reach people with a gospel that they've never heard. Are you willing? But for most of us, we're called here to reach our neighbors for Christ, to live the life that we are called to live. So are you willing to live wherever the Lord wants you to live? Number two, are you willing to serve wherever the Lord calls you to serve? The Lord actually calls you to serve. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 20, or rather 12 through 30 really lines it out. You really should take your time to read that. Verse 18, it says in that passage of 1 Corinthians 12, as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. Uh, please don't go around going, oh, I wish I had that gift. Or I wish I had, wish I were doing. The Lord gets to choose. He's the one who gives the gifts. And he's the one who lines these out. Verse 27 of 1 Corinthians 12 also adds, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. We are the body of Christ. Uh, Just as a side note, the Lord, if you're here today, the Lord has called you to grace. But the question you have to ask yourself, are you serving? Um, I guess the best advice I would give you is actually not to take tests on, on spiritual gifts and some people go, Where, why? I'm going to look it up. I'm doing one right now. Don't do that. Why? Because the Bible never says to do that. I'm not, I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying is sometimes we don't test ourselves very well. And a lot of friends won't test us very well because they don't want to hurt our feelings. I, I would encourage you rather to do what the Bible tells you to do. Get involved in the body of Christ. Not just Sunday mornings, but dive in. John Piper, I've mentioned this before, has said, and I think he's onto something, spiritual gifts tend to be fruitful and enjoyable. They tend to be fruitful and enjoyable. And I think he's right, just looking at the scene. Um, And I would say also, if you presently serve, some of you might go, amen, amen. If you presently serve, beware of judging others. You know what's interesting about men's ministry? The same thing that's interesting about 
women's ministry and children's ministry. They all think it's most important. I'm not saying in a bad way, they just, that's their focus, and rightly so. And so uh, beware of just judging others. The Lord moves in different ways, and, and we need to be, we need to have the patience that the Lord has towards us. And the last question I would ask is this, are you willing to be faithful to whatever the Lord calls you to do? Ooh, I don't like that last question as much. Are you willing to be faithful to whatever the Lord calls you to do? You see, the issue is, is faithfulness. Are you just faithful? Remember, when the Lord rewards us in the future, he doesn't say, well done, good and successful servant. No, well done, good and faithful. Did you do what I called you to do? Be faithful to what the person I called you to be with. Be faithful to the one I, that you raise. Be faithful to the job I called you to. Be faithful to where I put you. Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not grow weary in doing good for in due season we will reap. If we do not grow weary or it's also give up. Let me, let me tell you this. One of the most faithful saints in all the Bible, faithful, we don't know her name. We see in 2 Kings 5, 2, now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. Who is this little girl? She's kidnapped. She was child trafficked, if you will. And she says, would that my Lord, she's talking to, about Naaman, would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. You see what she's doing? She's loving the people that kidnapped her. She's loving her enemies. See how faithful she is? Jesus even mentions Naaman's name about a faithful Gentile of the Old Testament. Why? Because this little girl that we don't know her name was faithful to whatever the Lord called her to be and do and live. Last note we'd say is this, Nehemiah is not the only one inviting people to the city. The Lord does it today. Hebrews 11.6 says, he has prepared for them a city. So my encouragement to you is this, I've been talking to saints most of this time, but if you're an unbeliever today, would you be willing to be part of that heavenly city? There is waiting for us in the future a heavenly city of God, the new Jerusalem. Come to him today, trust him leaving your sin as your master and following Jesus Christ as your new master.